What's up and welcome to another episode of the Grindline Podcast. I'm your host, Greg, and we have a very special guest tonight from Dauber Prospects, Tony Ferrari. Uh, we are also here with Ryan and Tyler. How's everyone doing tonight? Pretty good. How are you guys doing? I'm not too bad. It, uh, <laughs> here's some prospects talk, which I will openly claim ignorance to for the most part. So I'm um, excited to have you on. We chat with you on Twitter quite a bit, so it's going to be a fun time. I'm doing pretty good. I'm glad to have Tony a part of this because I like Ryan. I mean, I'm in the middle, I would say. Greg knows a whole lot about the prospect. Ryan, you're kind of... I'm the long shot. <laughs> and I'm kind of in the middle. I, I definitely do pay attention to the prospects, um, but not as heavily um, as I probably will start to at this point in time. So I'm, I'm definitely glad to have someone that, that has been studying this since probably last year, right? Um, and, and so I'm definitely glad to have someone like you aboard to uh, enlighten us on some things. You mean you guys didn't start paying attention to prospects on like October 8th? No, man, I'm already in 2022's prospects. I'd say Greg probably did. I've that's, just been staring at the standings crying a little bit every day. Yeah, that's I agree. That. Yeah. Well, tonight's episode is going to be one of the more uplifting episodes, considering we're not looking at the current state of the team. We are looking at the future state of the team, um, because anything better than now is an improvement. So, uh, uh, Tony, if you want to give a little bit of, uh, of what your background is for the people that may not know of your, your wonderful work. I write for Dauber Prospects. I'm an editor there, and I have the draft coverage. Uh, I also do some scouting for future considerations. And yeah, it's pretty much what I do right now. I think we'll start off with, I guess, what happened last year. And in, in the fact is, are are you surprised by the development of any of the, the Red Wings picks from last year? And I think the one that kind of sticks out to probably most everyone is Elmer Soderblom. Well, Soderblom was a, a guy that... He had a lot of puck skills. He was a good stick handler. He was almost the opposite of what you think of when you see a six foot seven, two hundred and twenty pound guy. Because he he plays to the outside almost his entire game. He gets to the net when he has the puck, but if he doesn't have the puck, he's a guy that floats around the outside almost like he almost plays a, a William Nylander until he has the puck, and then he's in front of the net getting the puck in in the net. He's a weird player who. He's got size and skill, so, I mean, taking him in the sixth round, it looks like it's paid off because he's destroying world right now. And he has oh, 47 points in 26 games in the Super Elite. Yeah. He's, it's, it's insane the way he's played this year. Yeah, I think what we kind of said about him in, in not preseason, but camp and stuff and just watching him play is he doesn't play like his size. Like, he's a mammoth of a man. Um, but he plays like a six foot even player. I mean, his skating for, for how big he is, is great. Like I said, he's like, he likes to start to play on the perimeter and work his way to the middle of the ice. He's, it, it's, I honestly don't think I've seen a, a progression like this. I'm looking at his page right now. He had 17 points in 44 games in the Super Elite last year, and he's got 30 more points in 20 less games this year. Like, it's just an insane progression. And I mean, he could regress to the mean and end up being, somewhere in the middle of that, but right now it, it looks like a genius pick by Eisenman. Yeah, and like, he's a lurch, so it's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, because we need to yeah. get bigger. But yeah, I mean, even if he if he regresses a little bit, and I, I tend to see this with a lot of the prospects, is they show up at, at Wings Camp, and then the next year they get a, a pretty sizable boost, and I don't know if it's from what, what the staff tells them they need to improve on, or, or the kind of the lessons they might pick up from being around other players. But it, looking through quite a few pages of, of players, it seems like a lot of them get a, a little bump uh, after their after their draft year and after they make that first camp and they get a little bit of, I guess, advice and help. Yeah, Detroit's been doing a pretty decent job lately of drafting. And like even the last few years of Holland, you look at a guy like Jonathan Berger, and I mean, aside from the injuries, his progression was something like he was a first round talent. You guys got in the second round. Yep. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, an Albert Greva in the third round, like that was just a steal of a pick. Like most people had him in the first late first round, early second round at the latest. I mean, getting this little six foot ball of hate is. <laughs> Pat, uh, Pat Verbeek I mean, 2.0. I say yeah, exactly. because he's a little asshole that he could have dropped a little bit. Oh, 100%. Because, I mean, I've even heard stuff with Swedish Hockey Federation where they, they like him as a player. But he's kind of an asshole. They don't like him as a so, person. Exactly. And and they have the same thing going on this year with a guy like Noel Gundler, who probably could have been on the World Junior team if he wasn't a shithead. 
the Swedes pride themselves on being a, a nice, nice group of people. So once they get that uh, one person that sticks out a little bit, they shy away from them. Exactly. Shun, shun now, the non-believer. I think another person that we probably could consider maybe a little bit of a, a later pick that could have gone higher was probably someone like Robert Master Simone. I mean, if you want to go back two years, definitely a Joe Valeno. But yep. oh, for sure. But like, I think Robert Master Simone, with how he's been doing in Boston, uh, has also showed that his uh, he's a probably a value pick from where you got him. Oh, for sure. I, I've watched Master Simone a few times this year, and he's he's quick. He he doesn't have the the greatest top speed over the length of the ice, but when he's in the offensive zone, he's quick. He's agile. He's in and out of traffic. He's the kind of guy that you pair on a line with a an elite playmaker, and he's going to just tap in pucks around the net and get open. Do you think being five ten will hurt him or help him out? Uh with the way he plays, it's probably going to be fine. I, I'm not. He's not a guy that. Uh, is going to be in traffic a lot. He's going to be in and out. He's going to be the guy that taps in backdoor goals rather than drives to the net with his shoulder down. Yeah, and I hope is. Uh, I think he he had one of the kind of freak injuries. The Red Wings and injuries are kind of not super great right now, considering everyone's been hurt for the past like two years. Um, so hopefully we don't continue that going forward because, as you know, Berggren's out for the rest of the season too. God, that's so, that's probably yeah. the most disappointing one. It's so unfortunate to see him go down two years in a row. So I think we'll go into um, if you if we're going to talk about I guess picks that may have been we've gotten at later rounds that should have been higher up. Where was Cider on your board last year? Last year I I Cider is one of my favorite players from the draft last year. I had him at eleven, which was a lot higher than most people. That would be surprising to I mean of course you saw the reaction and I mean even the reaction by Cider himself. But he's, he's <laughs> yeah, turned the, the into woe. a yeah he's turned into I mean a, a pretty amazing uh, addition to the Griffin and it's if you look at an 18 year old kid in the AHL is not easy it's a hard league it's the second best league in in the world and to play the way he's playing from stepping over from international ice straight on to North American ice and to be able to control the blue line like he does it's it's complete it's phenomenal I mean a lot of what he does is mesmerizing in that flow. <laughs> oh, the hair. <laughs> no, he's a guy that he's he's on pace to to break Rasmus Sandin's record for scoring by an uh, under twenty defense. He's on pace to just shatter every offensive record in the AHL for a teenager, like to, for for a defenseman. And he's doing it all while playing some of the best defense I've ever seen from a teenager in the. AHL. He's he looks like he's a twenty five year old AHL veteran out there who's just waiting for his NHL shot, but he's eighteen. And he's got all the promise in the world. Do you have a comp like an NHL player from the past or present? Well, I know you guys want me to say that he's the German Lidstrom. Because <laughs> I everyone, think most of the everyone, fan base would actually yeah, freak everyone, out about that right now. Exactly. Everyone <laughs> in, in Red Wings Twitter loves to call him German Lidstrom. <laughs> and while I do love Mort Sider, I can't go that high. I, I'd say he's, he's really similar to a guy like Colton. Like, normally, I don't like making the comparisons, but this one fits really, really well. Skilled big defenseman skates beautifully. He can walk the blue line in transition. He's offensive upsides. Uh, in my turn, in my mind, and he's he could be a Norris candidate defense because even last year when people were complaining about his offensive upside, if you watched enough game, you've seen it because his coach had asked him at one point last year, play a defensive game. Like you're playing a men's league, you don't need to worry about offense. You got to take care of the offense. Your your job right now is to play defense. So he did last year, and if honestly, I don't. If he didn't play in the DEL last year, he probably wouldn't be the defensive force that he is today because they force him into that. The development people like the Sean Horkoffs and the Dan Clearys have said there is an offense there. He has an offensive upside, and if he would have went all out last season in the DEL, his his numbers might have been higher. But he, like you said, he was told just to, to focus on defense. So when he's focusing on defense, I mean, of course, his numbers aren't going to be up. But I, I, as you've seen, I mean, he's got a wicked shot. He's got a great outlet pass. There's actually a lesson coming up in the thing me and Ryan are going to in Columbus that's titled like defending the blue line, like the effects of a first pass. And I renamed it uh, Why Mo Cider Will Be Elite. So yeah. That's going to be the name of the course. <laughs> But Bob Kayser, who is uh, one of the voices of the Griffins, basically walked by Cider and said, there's a top uh, five NHL defenseman. So 
I I mean so the guys in the in the game are are giving him high enough praises to where he's I mean he's gonna be something special and I think he's shown that he's well worth where where we took him at and you having him at eleven is even more validation. Yeah, like most most outlets had him around like even Dolphin Prospects I think they ha- ended up having him around fifty and most places had him as the third best defenseman. I had him as the second best defenseman last year behind Byron. But I'm almost willing to say he's going to be the best defenseman in this class, in his draft class. Like, even with all the skill Byron has, I know he's having a down year and certain people are down. But I, I think Byron's going to be an outstanding defenseman. I just think the upside with more outsider is just so much higher. Do you think a lot of people had Bro- Broberg ahead of him, too? I know a lot of people had Broberg ahead of him because some people are crazy. Even though Broberg <laughs> is not good. So can um, yeah, <laughs> but uh, the, the one guy that I, I noticed that I almost could listen to an argument for was Victor Soderstrom. He got drafted by Arizona. He was just kind of like this safe pick where if you took him anywhere between 10 and 15, you were going to have a good player. He's just cut that kind of safe defenseman. But Sider had so much more upside. So I had him ahead of Sider. Or I had Sider ahead of and I, I I wanted to get Sider in the top ten last year, but it was such a good draft I couldn't quite squeeze him in. If he's around this year, do you think he even fits in that top ten mold, or is it just too deep of a class this season? Uh, this year's draft is insane. Like if if I knew what Sider was this year coming in, like say I seen him playing in the AHL for for instance, I know you can't draft out of the AHL, but right. if I seen what he could do in North America this year, I'd probably have him in the top ten, Fair. probably at the back end, but. I, he's a guy that it would have been nearly impossible to keep out of the top 10 realistically, even with a dr- deep draft class. Like that. That's very encouraging too. Cause it's like we, it's, it's what we need. So if that's Iserman's first pick and he hits the home run there, I mean, that's, that's exciting. That'll instill confidence in the fan base, but I think what might instill confidence in the fan base even more. And though it is a long shot, um, would be <laughs> Alexi Lafreniere. Now, um, we love him. We've seen what he can do, but let's kind of get, I want to get your, I guess your read on him and what he would kind of mean to, to the franchise. What, what would he set up the, the Red Wings to do? Well, I mean, it's going to be hard to get him with the fourth pick, but God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Alexi Lafreniere, he's the kind of player that it, done, it honestly doesn't even matter that he's a winger. Because he's going to be able to drive the line. You kind of make him your first line center and put a guy like Dylan Larkin, who some people may or may not agree that he's a first line center or a second line center on a good team. But you put him with a guy like Larkin and Larkin's going to be a 30 point, 30 goal, 80 point guy every year. Like the way this kid, like Lafreniere plays the game, like I like to call him an elite grinder because he does everything that a grinder would do, but he's also better at it than every player that he plays against. Because he can score off of taking the puck off the wall, or he can score dangling three to three players in front of the net. It doesn't matter what opportunity the defense presents him; he's able to just take advantage of it. Because he's a big guy, like he's a decent, got decent size. He's got the NHL shot. He's got the NHL hands. The one concern is that he has a little bit of a, a slope first step. But you watch this guy get downhill. Once he drops his shoulder, it's it's almost like watching a slightly slower version of Nathan McKinnon. Because when he gets skate, when he gets skating downhill, it's almost not fair for defensemen. So what you're saying is he is an he's an if Luke Glenn Denning was elite, <laughs> that's that's what Lafreniere is. I can't if, believe you just said that. I if you either. combine Luke Glenn Denning and oh Connor McDavid, no, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> no, if you combine Luke Glenn Denning with a high skill offensive player, that's exactly what you'd be getting, but better. I mean, if you gave Connor McDavid Luke Glendening's backhand, he'd be the perfect player. I mean, Connor McDavid's pretty good, but I think I might take Luke Glendening. <laughs> let's let's keep pumping up his trade value so that he's <laughs> yeah. gone next month. Yeah, Lafreniere. I mean, now that would I guess create some infighting. Would would Lafreniere? Lafreniere would definitely then fight Dylan Larkin for face of the franchise, which I think Larkin might have the slight edge because he's the Michigan man. But certainly would not be a, a bad problem to have. It's not that Larkin by himself is not really, really good. He he makes people around him better, but but giving him a, a legit elite winger, I mean, make his production go through the roof. 
I mean, we've already seen what he can do with elite players on his side. I mean, yes, Mantha and Bertuzzi are fantastic players, but if you add a piece like Lafreniere to that, and then you've got Mantha and Bert, if you got Mantha, Lafreniere, and, and Arkin as your top line, like that's three guys at least scoring 20 goals a piece their first season together. You know, Mantha was on pace for 40, so he's pushing that no problem. Larkin's going to be the assist master and Lafreniere is just going to be all over the ice doing whatever he has to because the other two are still going to have to focus on him. And this might be a little hyperbolic, but I honestly believe if Detroit got the top line, that would be among the best lines in the league. Like you guys would have a set first line for the next 10 years. Well, the way Oof. that Burt Larkin and Mantha started out, I think if they would have kept going the way they started, I mean, that could have been one of the, the cases this year. Exactly. Well, you know what? With Lafreniere, imagine Tyler Bertuzzi, but 10 times better. So if yeah. you took 10 you, Tyler Bertuzzis you, and you taped them together. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I mean they were all point per, point per game guys just about when until Mantha got hurt. So that tells you what they were doing with just those three at that level. Adding a true elite talent to that? Shit. You can notice when Dylan Larkin's on the ice when he has guys like even Luke Glendening on the ice. He's making guys like that better. Now imagine if he had a guy like Alexis Lafreniere out there, um, what he'd be able to do. Lafreniere coming to the wings would honestly change the franchise for the better, obviously. Yeah, I mean, you can't really make it much worse. Yeah, for real. (laughs) (laughs) Sure you can. Yeah, I know. Hey, let's get 37 points this year. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're going to get close to being, I mean, they'll be the worst team since that Avalanche team, hands down, because I, I think right now it's hard to see them breaking 60. Oh, man. I, I know at one point this year, I was over at my, my brother's house and we were talking about the Wings, and he did the math. And it wasn't like for season. This was like two weeks. They were on pace for 43 points. <laughs> <laughs> I I was like, what? And I didn't believe him. I had to do the math myself. Yeah, they were on pace for four to three months. Did, did you see the photo that Chump posted today on, online? He no. sent it to Max. He put it right up. Max asked for their questions for uh, Wings for Breakfast today. And uh, Chump posted the schedule. How many wins will the Wings have during this stretch of Mar- March into April? And I really don't think they're going to win a single game. No, yeah, because uh, Max put out the kind of the graphic that says, oh, it's about time the Wings face some tougher competition because they have down the stretch have one of the hardest uh, strength of schedules. I think it was league. the hardest in the NHL yeah. to yeah, finish out the season. Goodness gracious. We're going to be going up against some people who are definitely fighting for a playoff spot. So oh, every game in the entire and, month of March will be. And the other thing that's not taken into consideration when you look at that, all the games against Toronto that are left, all the ga- games against Florida that are left, who aren't are in, well, Tor- Toronto's not in a playoff spot anymore. These, these really good teams like Toronto that aren't in a playoff, that Detroit still has to play. So that makes their schedule look worse because Toronto's not in a playoff spot now. And they need but to be. It's, yeah, it's not, a, it's not like Toronto's, like, Detroit. No, <laughs> against the Bruins. So, yeah, the Bruins, again, they're, they're in the division of, Monsters, Help. yeah, and their only reprieve is playing Ottawa once in a while. Yeah, which isn't even really a reprieve. <laughs> exactly. So I think we're going to jump back into the uh, the draft now. We know Lafreniere is the consensus number one. I guess two through two through five gets a little. I wouldn't say two through five. I would still probably count Byfield as a as a two, but from there it's a little a little more choppy. But I guess I guess I'd like to get your take on how far apart you think the talent level is between two and four. Right now, I have Byfield in his own tier at two, and then Lucas Raymond in his own. That hmm. the gap between those two is further than the gap between Byfield and LaFrenia. I think Byfield honestly has equal or higher upside than Le- as LaFrenia, but LaFrenia is just so much more of a guarantee okay. that. It's it's too too much to even consider putting Byfield number one on him right now because like the year he is like almost eleven months younger than than Lafreniere so like when people were freaking out about Byfield's World Juniors every time someone asked me about it I was like what did Lafreniere do last year? last year Lafreniere had one point yeah it's it was it was the exact same production 
with Byfield being a month and a half older. So I think Byfield's still the clear-cut number two. Uh, Raymond's, for me right now, the clear-cut number three because I there's so much there with Raymond in, in the skill set. He's a good two-way forward. He's got elite playmaking. His skating, outside of maybe Tim Stutzel, maybe the best in the draft. And he's just, his offensive skill set is, is too high and he's not getting the opportunity in the SHL right now. He's getting, un, like, it, last time I checked, it was under 10 minutes a game and he wasn't even playing every game. And okay. it was like, I, I've watched so many, I've watched so many for London games and been like, well, that was a waste four minutes of Lucas Raymond. And it's just, it, it's almost frustrating trying to grade Lucas Raymond because anytime you watch him outside of for London, he's clear, clear in a way the best player. But he's also only 17 years old right now. Exactly. Yeah. And he's, he's still quite young. So I understand why he's not getting premier minutes on that team. But at the same time, I watch that team and I go, okay, he's better than half of these guys, at least. He should be in the top six. Do you think that's just the Swedish league in general doing that? Because, I mean, Bergren was up that way a little bit, but also getting minimal time when you thought he should have been playing more. Granted, the injuries haven't helped him. But do you think that's just kind of like the DEL, for instance, what they what they did with Cider last season and how they're kind of giving him limited minutes but telling him to focus on certain things? Do you think that's just trying not to do too much, kind of like what guys see over here, like top prospects sitting in the AHL for, to ripen up, if you will? You you look at most of the guys in the SHL this year, like even Alexander Holt getting most minutes out of anybody in terms mm-hmm. of like the, the prospects, draft prospects. And he's still only getting 14 minutes. Maybe a night. So at the start of the year, the top five was really, really locked in for most people with Lafreniere, Byfield, Raymond, Holtz, and Lundell. For, for me, four of them are still there in the top five with Lafreniere, Byfield, Raymond, obviously. And then Lundell still at, still my number five. Okay. Stutzel is the one guy that snuck into that and he's at four right now for me. And Holtz has gone down to eight. And it's not necessarily anything bad he's done. It's just I haven't seen that step I was hoping for. He's still got the elite shot, but that's pretty much it a lot of times when I'm watching. So at number four, we're probably taking Tim Stutzel. That's the guy I like. Which is good because, I mean, he's a German guy. He's he's played on the national team with Cider. He's playing uh, on Mannheim right now, isn't he? Yep. Yeah. Yep. And he's, and he's getting top line in top six minutes. Yeah. I mean, he's a. I, from, so from what I've seen from him is he's fast. His skating is phenomenal, and he can put the puck in the net. Um, and his puck handle is amazing. Yeah, he's got some really insane puck skills. His skating is. It's you almost feel bad for players he's he's playing against at times. There's this one play I, I always go back to where he's skating across the blue line, stops up, spins around, and then just fires a pass to the backside of the net. And two defenders fell over when he stopped and spun around. <laughs> and it just, in the pass, tucked right under one of the defenders as they were falling. Jeez. So it was, was insane. One of those plays that you just walk and you go, well. Tony, like, <laughs> what has Germany done the last couple of years that they're producing guys like Leon Dreisaitl and now Moritz Seider and potentially Tim Stutzel? The, the only thing I can think of is steroids. <laughs> <laughs> they're juice. They're I juice like the strategy. Yeah, they're German just, they're just there's just juicing kids early. <laughs> no, I couldn't tell you what, what exactly they're doing, but they're producing a lot of guys lately that have, that have been kind of working their way into first round conversation. And I mean, even look the last few years, you have guys like Dominic Fox going and whatnot. And they're really high end prospects. And this year, you have three guys that people think could go in the first round with Stutzel going in the top 10 somewhere. And then you have Paterka and Reiko coming in at the end of the first round for a lot of people. Yeah, that's like, what I'm saying just, is. If we could get a low first round pick for Athanasiu and take Paterka, and you could get Cider, Stutzel, Paterka. Yeah, um, but do you need Athanasiu to actually come back and then produce when he gets back? Yeah. And I don't I, see yeah. that happening without having Mantha in the lineup. I don't really see, and the ways that the ways that Dean has been playing, I don't think Athanasiu is going to see top line minutes. If he's on the second line, though, I will say him, Fabri, and Philpola were absolutely fantastic together. So I think that could be exactly what we can hope for is him on the wing and just letting him fly like a freaking bat out of hell. But <laughs> it, getting a, I, I don't know what team, what team do you think Greg would actually spend their late round first round pick for the playoff push? Uh, Especially the in a draft like this. 
You think so? You think he would do that? The Penguins or the Oilers. The Oilers were my pick. <laughs> yeah. The, it's Ken Holland, and he gave up a first-round draft pick for Kyle Quincy. Why are you bringing that up right now, Greg? <laughs> we already talked about we this last week. About this on this you brought podcast. it up again twice in the last week after the podcast. I feel like you just want me to have an aneurysm. <laughs> I mean, Holland's done it before. He can do it again. But I think Oilers would be a good destination for Athens to see you. You can play him with Drysaddle, or you could play him with McDavid. So you're giving him someone who can set him up and let him fly. I, I, he really would f- f- do amazing with those guys, I feel like. Yeah, I, I think the only problem with Detroit trading Athanasiu to the Oilers is when they re-sign him for three years at $4.5 million, and then he scores 45 the next three years. That's fine because we have Zadina. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I have I mean, no I problem think, trading Athanasiu. I think Detroit should sell him as fast as they can if they can get a first-round pick. I, I think they could have done that last year and been perfectly fine. Yep. I think I think the last year, the last two years was a lot of prime opportunity for Holland to sell off some guys that were peaking at the right time and he never did it. And now this season is the perfect reason as to why that was a complete F up. But see, now you have Holland as a buyer instead of Holland as a seller. True. And we know he will spend the stupidest ass prospects and picks to try to get that one more win. Exactly. You don't think he's learned the lesson? Hell no. no. Look at the team he has right now. No, he's in, he's in a team that needs to make the playoffs and needs to get past the first round. So that's my thing, too, is like if I think Holland's going to do something stupid and it might just be trading a first round pick and even maybe a prospect for someone like a fantasy. Yeah, I agree. So I think the next question we got is who and I, if it's a little outside is who would you not be surprised to see jump into the top four that's not there currently? And tell me why that player is Marco Rossi. I feel like you should expand <laughs> that to top six. Well, Marco Rossi is a guy that I, I, he, every time I've watched him this year when he's not getting suspended for slew footing guys, he's, he's just a fun guy to watch. He's like, he's only, I think he's five, nine, five, ten. He's a shorter maybe. guy. He's Debrink at height. Yeah. But he's, he's stocky. He's almost 200 pounds. Like you watch oh. this kid play. You bowling watch ball. this kid play. And yeah, he's a bowling ball. He's got these big, thick legs. Like I've seen him live in person a few times this year. And like, you just notice the legs immediately. He's got these Sidney Crosby thick legs. He doesn't get knocked off the puck. Skating really isn't that great, to be completely honest. He still struggles in that department. But what he excels at in terms of skating is being able to just hold on to the puck, keep up. He doesn't get knocked over very often, despite being a smaller guy. Honestly, Rossi's definitely one guy that I could see Peeking into the top four, top five. So you got to be a mini Yager, right? Yeah. Oh, no, 100%. I've fully seen him use his big ass to push that. <laughs> <out of that. laughs> um, and he's another one who's had a pretty impressive jump. Uh, last season in 53 games, he had 65 points. Uh, but this season in 37 games, he has 81 points. So, I mean, that's a pretty significant jump from the season before. And I, he's, he's, Putting up points at a Connor McDavid level in the OHL. Yeah, he's he's like Lafreniere. He's one of the older players in the draft class, and he's less than a month away from being eligible for last year's draft. But yeah, he's a guy that the points have jumped up this year, and it's not a situation where he's just benefiting from being on a stacked team because Ottawa's really, but he's the one driving that boat. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. And I mean, he's he's gone up. I mean, I think a few mo- even if just a few months ago. He was down in the in the tens, maybe late teens, and he's really gone up. I mean, I think he's in most people's top ten now, at least. Yeah. So for reference, in November I had him at eleven, and then in at the beginning of January he was my number seven guy, behind only Drysdale, Lundell, Stutzel, Raymond, and Byfield, Lafreniere. Who's your eleven now? My eleven now is Cole Perfetti. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Cole Perfetti was in a lot of people's top 10, too, so he's gone down a little bit. And I almost feel bad for Cole Perfetti because he literally hasn't done anything wrong this year. Aside from, like, the first 15, 20 games of the year, he had a shooting percentage that was, like, 3.5%. But he's improved as a playmaker so much this year. Like, I I constantly joke around that Cole Perfetti is now playmaker Perfetti because he's leading the OHL in points right now, and it's not because he's scoring 50 goals. Like he's he might get to forty this year, but it's he's gonna have eighty assists. 
Rossi's giving him a run for his money right now, looking at EP, elite prospects. Perfetti's sitting at 54 assists and 82 points. Rossi's at 53 and 81. And they're it's, both at, but the difference here is Perfetti's at 46 games while Rossi's only at 37. Yeah, that, that's the big difference. Is Rossi's been doing all this 10, 15 games behind most of the guys at the top of the leaderboard. Because like I said, he got suspended once this year and he was hurt at the start of the year, if I'm not mistaken. Was Byfield hurt too? He's only got 36 games. Uh, part of Byfield's issue was that he has like had a couple minor injuries. Where, like He'll miss a game, one game on the weekend, but he was gone for the World Juniors as well. Uh, so missed, yeah, he missed like nine, eight, ten games. I think the big thing too that I I was looking at with some of the the OHL prospects, like Rossi, for example, and he's got so he's got eighty one points. The next highest person is sixty three. The next two, so uh, Joseph Graffa and Noel uh, Hoffenmeyer, they've got sixty three points, but I mean they're not huge marquee names that you're gonna see go really high. Um, he's not on an like an insane team for what he's doing. No, like it's both Rossi and Perfetti. Like they, their teams are both doing well in the OHL, but it's because of them. They're the driving force that's pushing their teams towards the top of the standings. Like both Saginaw and Ottawa both have a shot at winning the OHL championship this year and going to the Memorial. I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah, it's exciting to see kind of what. And I like watching the the lower level games because you get to see kind of what you, the future of your team and other teams are going to kind of be like. Um, but it's, I mean, these guys, like you said, this draft class is absolutely uh, kind of insane for at least the first ten ish picks. Yeah, I have like because I, I'm such a big Askarov fan, I have him at ten and Cole Perfetti at eleven. But that, that top mm. eleven is a tier that is just to me insane. It, that, Do you think every one of those guys are pretty much NHL ready? Maybe other than Askarov. Um, it's going to sound weird, but I think Byfield and Raymond, as well as maybe Askarov. I mean, Askarov, maybe Perfetti. I think all the other guys could probably play in the NHL this year. And it sounds weird to say Byfield may need another year in juniors. He could step in and probably play second line minutes pretty easily for Detroit. But I think that will almost hinder his development a little bit. I think that the extra year in... Uh, he's a perfect example of a guy that you wish could go to the AHL. So because he's kind of like in a Rasmussen situation. Exactly. Like He's he's going to physically... If he goes back to the OHL next year, he's going to put up Lafreniere plus type numbers. It's it's going to be kind of mean, to be completely honest, to so all the other kids that he has to play against. <laughs> <laughs> he's just going to bully you. It's and, the scene and, in South Park where the Peewee team plays the Red Wings. Yes. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> Speaking of Askarov, tell me why the Red Wings taking Askarov would be absolutely insane. Uh, because he's a goalie. Exactly. And that's, <laughs> and, and that's it. Yeah. Honestly, I think Askarov, like most people are like, oh, goalies are three to four years away. I think I've got it maybe two, two and a half, three years away. So you mean basically Carter Hart level? Yeah, I wouldn't. I think he's better than Carter Hart. I think Carter kind of developed faster after his draft year, but I think. Askarov's the kind of guy that you look at him now and you can project that kind of progression. Whereas yeah, Carter Hart, when he was drafted, you kind of thought he's two, three years away, or three, four years away still. But Tony, does it worry you that he's Russian and he may or may not come over to North America? It would if he hasn't said on a few occasions that he wants to play in the NHL. He, he has no interest in dominating the KHL. He, he kind of pissed off his KHL team, actually, at one point this year because he, he said that Greg Garrett Huff isn't the same as the Stanley and the other KHL teams were like, oh, that's that's rude. Don't say that. Well, he's not wrong. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's right. Not wrong at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't worry about him staying over in Russia. Yeah, I mean, so did the did his early, I guess, World Junior performances um, raise or lower your stock? I mean, his early performances for a lot of people kind of lowered his stock a little bit. Uh, for me, I, I I try not to take too much out of the World Juniors as it is. It's two weeks of fun hockey that I've watched, basically. I, I kind of evaluate process here and there, but it's more of like, I'll have their name down on a notebook and I'll just write check marker X if I like something they did. But with, with Askarov, he just seemed not himself. Like, normally he's a guy that he sits in net and he's just a stone wall still. He's not a guy that moves his feet with any unnecessary movements. Where at the World Juniors, it was almost like he was dancing in net at times. Like, his feet were constantly moving. He never got himself set. It was really weird to watch him completely on. 
Yeah, I think some of that was probably nerves. I mean, you're on the world stage. You're going into your draft year. You're trying to figure out what you're going to do in the future and where you might be going. So, I mean, it could have been he was just maybe a bit nervous. Exactly. Yeah. He's he's 17 playing against predominantly 19-year-olds. And he knows, like, it's, he, these kids aren't stupid. He knows he's Yaroslav Askarov. He knows people are going to be watching him. He knows Craig Button says he's Carey Price in Russian oh. every time he gets a chance. I wish they would stop that. <laughs> that I think I feel like that makes it worse for kids. Where you just like, oh, we're it's, gonna we're gonna uh, compare you to literally some of the best players to ever play the game, but no pressure when you actually come into the league to you know perform exactly like the guy I said you were. Uh, I remember last year at World or at the World Under That's when Craig Button really started pushing that uh, Carey Price narrative with Askarov. And then all of a sudden, one game in the final or the semifinal, he, he made a, a pretty acrobatic statement. And uh, Craig Button just on the broadcast goes, oh, look at that. He's also Dominic Hasek. And I'm like, stop. You don't need to compare him to Hall of Famers. Like, stop. They did that with Peter Mrazek. A lot of people compared Peter Mrazek to Dominic Hasek with some of the saves he was making. And then just because he was check. Yeah. And then if you look now, I mean, Peter Mrazek has one of the lowest... Uh, I think one of, he's one of the lower ranked goalies on like goals against. He's at like a minus ten. He's at the bottom of the list. That that situation in Carolina is weird. Like Reimer's playing it at some god level rate. Brasic's not playing at any NHL level whatsoever, but he's still getting the majority of the starts, and they're still somehow winning. I don't. Well, I feel like that's we're in the point now of a kind of a going back to goalie a goalie turnover on a lot of teams. You see, like. Uh, the Rangers, Lundqvist is, is getting less games and the backups are getting more. Uh, like you said, Reimer's playing insane and Mrazek, who's supposed to be Carolina's top goalie, is not doing well. Uh, Jimmy Howard's hot garbage this season, except for the last few <laughs> games. And and Bernier's looked good. So it's I, I guess it's like the bizarro world in, in uh, NHL goaltending. Yeah, it, it's really been a weird year with goalies, but I mean, that's just, I don't know. I mean, Jonathan Quick's even been really, really, really bad. Uh, Jonathan Quick's always been really, really bad. <laughs> America. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I'm, not, I'm not even going to sugarcoat it. He's never all that good. He's been athletic. He's like he's he's the kind of goalie that gets in a hot run and looks fantastic during that hot run. And that's all. I th- honestly, I think that's what those Stanley Cup runs were. Isn't that he, the minimum requirement hot. to play hockey? Is just be athletic. Yeah, those Kings yeah. teams are also really good, though. Oh, no, those Kings teams were insane defensively. But, like, that helped Jonathan Quick a lot. I, I think he was the kind of goalie that if you have a good defense in front of him, you have a good structured team, he's going to be able to put up above-league average save percentages, above-league average goal save above expectations and whatnot. I mean, but when goes, you put a team like, yeah, like the team in front of him, it's not going to work. <laughs> it goes back to you can win a Stanley Cup with a mediocre goalie as long as the rest of your team is good. Exactly. Which is why, killed. which is why some people That's why would Chris say, Chris getting the criticism yeah, he does." Yeah, which is why some <laughs> people would say, "Ozzy's not in the Hall of Fame yet." Boston begs to differ with Tuka Rask. Uh, he's not mediocre. No, Tuka Rask is way above average. Come on now. <laughs> not when it comes down to the gritty. The guy can't win the big one. I think Tuka Rask's issue is that he's from game to game. He's such a disaster. Like, you don't know <laughs> what that. Like, he's going to come out, he's going to have a five-game stretch, and then in game seven, he's going to shit the bed. <laughs> <laughs> he's uh, the, the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde of goalies. Oh, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, most most goalies have that to an extent. Yeah. So, I guess uh, the, the last thing we're going to talk about is, I guess, who are some sleepers people uh, should pay attention to? Now, I'm not saying these are guys that are going to be in the top ten, but who are some guys and maybe into the second and third round that could be, like, real value picks? Um, that teams could pick up. One of the guys I've been pushing all year has been Tyler. He plays for the Oxford Generals in the OHL. He's got, he's over a point a game right now. He's got 51 points in 45 games. He's a little small. He's 5'9", uh, 170, 161, actually. Sorry, damn, he's real small. But he, <laughs> he, no, I say that because I'm surprised. Because every time I watch him play, he plays so much bigger than he actually is. He's, Almost like a Marco Rossi light in terms of like he's gonna get in on the forecheck, he's gonna kill like a guy that's constantly causing havoc, but he's not overly big by any means. Another guy I like is Ryan O'Rourke. He plays for the Sioux Greyhounds. He's a guy that some people have in the first round and then other people have him far, far later. I see him ranked as, as D 
deep as like in the seventies. Really, and I think it has to do with the fact that he's just offensively he doesn't have a ton of upside. But he's six two, hundred eighty one. He's left handed shot defenseman, and he's just steady. He does everything good, but not great. He's not going to be a guy that is a, is a one man breaking you know, but he's going to make a great first half. He's not going to be a guy that runs your power play, but if you put him on the second unit, he's got a pretty decent shot, and he can fire when from the top of the dot. So you think he's a great out as a mid mid pair defenseman? Yeah, he's a he's he's a guy that I think could play second pairing, and if you put him on the first pairing with a really high high end defenseman, he's going to be the guy that kind of stays safe. He almost reminds me a little bit of. Like uh, uh, Matthias Ekholm from Nashville. He's kind of good at everything, but he's not really great at anything. I got two quick questions for you. Let's hear them. So, what do you? Who is the best defenseman in this draft? And then to also piggyback on that, what do you think of Jamie Drysdale jumping up in this draft? Uh I'd say Jamie Drysdale is the best one in this draft. Pretty, pretty far going away. The next best guy. Kind of a group of Jeremy Poirier, Lucas Cormier, Emil Andre, guys like that. I mean, William Wallander has even been in there, and Helge Grimes. But it's it's not a great year for defensemen. But Jamie Drysdale's got such an offensive skill set. He's not bad defensively by any means. He's pretty like in my in my viewings, he's fairly average defensively. But what he can do with the puck on his stick and how quickly he gets the puck out of the is going to be an unbelievable. The, the only problem is he's a right-handed defenseman. A ton of already. Right. I drafted him in the NHL 20, no big deal. Yeah, they, <laughs> that's kind of weird because it's the opposite problem that we used to have. We used to have no right-handed defensemen, and we used to scream for them, and then we got Mike Green. And then for Mike Green, it's been literally all right-handed defensemen all the way down to, like, this last draft, we took, like, three or four of them. So it's... it's Corey Perry ran a goalie. Jesus <laughs> shit. He's playing... He's, yeah, he's playing against. He's in the, the Tampa Dallas on NBC right now. Oh my god! I didn't Jeez. see it yet, but I'm sure I'll see it. Oh, and he okay. got bitching about it. God, I hate him. I'm sorry. I got angry. <laughs> I, I was happy not paying attention to the game. I look up and Corey Perry did something fucking stupid, and I got angry and I yelled. <laughs> uh, it, it's okay. I think everyone hates Corey Perry, including yeah. his teammates at times, including probably himself. <laughs> That walk of shame had to give him a little bit of hate for him on your He hasn't changed since it, though. No. Nothing has changed. No, he never will. No. He hasn't changed in 15 years. <sighs> He's Corey Perry. Looking at Tankathon's mock draft, um, it looks like, so, like, you're talking about defensemen. He said Jamie Drysdale. I don't, they don't have another defenseman going until 15, and that's Jake Sanderson. Yeah. So, I just... Yeah. Yeah, it's not a good year for defensemen, but I think overall, mo- there's a lot of. It looks like towards the end of the first round, it's it's pretty defense heavy, but the top is all is all centers and wingers. And I, I'm sure by draft time, that's going to change because everyone reaches for defensemen basically. And like, there hasn't been a defenseman that went after the fifth pick as the first defenseman in the draft since 2003. So every year, there's a defenseman that goes in the top five. And yeah. Jamie Drysdale will probably go in the top five, but it's it's going to be one of those situations where it's like, okay, well, there's probably a better player available realistically. Cool. Um, awesome. Well, do you guys have any uh any questions before we wrap up? I have one question for Brian, but if you have one, you can go ahead first. No, go ahead. So my question is, it's kind of a it's kind of a complex question, but I know you're. <laughs> it won't take that long. Okay, just listen. So it's 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 kind of to give some of these fans hope. Um, you on the outside looking in, looking at the Red Wings, what do you project? Uh, you know, like the next couple of years to look like. Um, next year's gonna suck. <laughs> I don't know who they get. Yeah, I don't mean to be mean. No, no matter if they get Lafreniere and Byfield somehow, it'll it's still going suck. To suck. Yep. But it's Detroit has a pretty decent farm system. Honestly, I think a lot like national media underranks their farm system because I think they've they've done a good job at diversifying their farm system. They've got guys that kind of play a lot of different roles. So if you have a few of those guys work out, you're going to be able to remodel your bottom six in two by two in, within two years. Your top six is going to be bolstered by whoever you get this year, whoever you get next year. 
your defense, you've got horses back there with Cider, and hopefully Chalowski can continue on developing because he's kind of stagnated this year. But then you got a stud like Heronic, and you've got guys back there, and and you've got the the wild cards like McIsaac and Tumisto and guys like that. I don't think Detroit's going to be that bad in two, three years. I think next year's going to, the year after, I think they're going to be in kind of a. That gray area. Yeah, they're going to be a team that you kind of look at and you're like, that's probably not going to make the playoff. They're going to flirt with it long enough that Detroit's going to get hope. <laughs> God, the last thing we need. I know, right? <laughs> but no, I think within three years, I'd be shocked in the playoffs fairly, like within a division spot, not even a spot. Well, I don't feel as stupid because we've been pretty much talking about that for the last six, seven months. Yeah, it's a next yeah. year we're going to be bad. We'll be a bottom five team again next year. Uh, the year after, we could flirt with, a, like you said, we'd be a bubble team or a wild card team, and then we'll actually probably contend for a cup in five to seven seasons. Yeah, because I think Boston's getting to the point where I think they've got two or three years left realistically. Like Boston, yeah. like their guys are their their big three are kind of at least the big two of the big three are over thirty now, and they're going to start to slow down. I mean, that's going to kind of give Detroit and Ottawa, sadly, that ride that chance to get into the division spots. I think Toronto's going to continue being really good. They've got young, high end talent. Uh, Tampa, you, think the, you don't uh, think the Caps going to handicap them at all? I'm not worried about the cap of Toronto. I, I think they've got guys in there that know how to cheat the cap good enough that they'll get away with it. They're fine. Mystery uh, mystery equipment yeah. allergy. Who's their next Nathan Horton? Yeah, ex- yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> just going to be, wow, look at all these guys on IR long term. It, it's it's going to happen, realistically. They're gonna, you also have to think the Sabres eventually will figure it out. No, they won't. They're the Sabres. I don't yeah. think they will. I think it's <laughs> more about they, they how they have it this, this year. They're going to have Jack Eichel. They're going to have Rasmus Dalin. That's the Sabres. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> they've, they've turned into the East Coast they're, version of Edmonton. Yeah, I like. I like a lot of players, like a few players on the Sabres. I was going to say a lot. <laughs> a few players on the Sabres I really like. Like Jack Eichel is one of the funnest players to watch in the league. Yeah. Like, he's almost worth the price of the pain of watching the rest of the Sabres game. But you you can't put on a game to watch 20 minutes of one game. And then you got Dalian on the back end who's going to be an elite, high-end defenseman, competing with Kale McCarr and Quinn Hughes, but he's going to be on the Sabres, so it's not going to matter. Exactly. Because they're going to finish anywhere between 10th and 12th every Eastern Conference, because that's what they do. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that'll be their problem. Like, you can't say that'll be their problem from now until the end of time, because the Oilers kind of figured it out, but it'll be their problem for a while. Look who's in charge now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I said this at the start of the year and I'll say it now I don't think the Oilers are making playoffs God that'd be fantastic that's, oh. that's something I'm going to believe until the day they clinch a spot the media will rip them to shreds one point out, I don't care if they're one point out with 10 games to go they're still they're not making the playoffs selfishly I want to see the Oilers make the playoffs because I oh. love watching McDavid and oh that's fantastic 100%, 100% I want to watch Connor McDavid in the playoffs on a different team Imagine though the media, the media meltdown in Canada if the Oilers and the Maple Leafs miss the playoffs. Uh, I'm gonna give it to me. I'm gonna reveal a dirty secret for you guys right now. I am a Toronto Maple Leafs fan. <laughs> They've been the team I root for my entire well, life. Well, we had a good talk really tonight, guys. Let's uh, <laughs> see. I I was smart. I waited until near the end of the podcast. <laughs> But no, like I've grown up, like I grew up in Windsor my entire life, basically. And I, I've watched my entire family is a family of Red Wings fans, so I've watched the Red Wings my entire life as well. So I felt the pain of watching another team win the Stanley Cup multiple times. And Toronto is just one of those teams that I kind of hope they miss the playoffs because I think it would be hilarious, and I'm all for the chaos. <laughs> if, if Toronto and I, I want two, one of two things: I want either Toronto and Edmonton to meet in the Cup final, or I want both of them to miss the playoffs. Chaotic, <laughs> chaotic it, evil it, it alignment. Would be, it would be a disaster, and this country would shut down. <laughs> I think that would be the official end of Dangle. He would have a heart attack on his recording. Oh, he just he'd kill. He he'd have a podcast, and he would literally just cry the entire. He'd delete time. his YouTube oh. channel. <laughs> and then somehow in that same spring, the freaking Winnipeg Jets would make it all the way to the Cup final. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, man. We would officially see Civil War in Canada at that point. <laughs> be so awesome. 
<laughs> well, I think before we all throw up, that's probably a good place, good place to end it tonight. So, uh, Tony, actually, if you want to shout out where people can find you, uh, your Twitter handle, stuff like that. Uh, every Monday on Dobbin Prospects, I come up with a new prospect column. And this Wednesday, actually, I'm coming out with my mid-season prospect breakdown or draft breakdown. It's going to be over 4,000 words on 50, 60 prospects. With my flowers. Top 100. Oh, it's, it was so stupid. <laughs> I'm like, this, is, this is too much. But now there's 50 plus prospects. At least talk about a little bit in there. Uh, my full top 100 rankings will all be out. And it'll be a monthly thing, but hopefully it won't be words every month. But uh, uh, yeah, look for that Wednesday. Awesome. Brian? Awesome, yeah. Uh, Twitter handle is already Ryan33. I have no crazy announcements to bring out to you, the crowd this time. So I just want to say thanks, Tony, for uh, for doing this. It was great, man. Appreciate yeah, it. No problem. Tyler? My final thoughts are we need to stop the wooing in these goddamn NHL <laughs> games. My friend, uh, my friend Ryan, who... who Boston Ryan. Boston. Time, that you guys met last time. He fucking noticed it the other night because, you know, like I said, he hasn't been watching the NHL so closely because he was he was in the Marines and stuff. But now he's back. He's like, what's with all this wooing and all these NHL? <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> Everyone's like, bored. Yeah, it's a mystery. We don't know. But it needs to stop. This is a PSA. Stop the fucking wooing. It's not just Detroit either. It no, is literally it's, it's, it's in multiple arenas, I've noticed now. <laughs> and I don't understand it. It's, it's the equivalent of the freaking the 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 um the camera um no the phone freaking light at the baseball games it, it's just I thought what oh with the people sitting behind home plate putting their lights on their phone to distract the pitchers yeah it's 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 awesome I've never seen that yeah, not yeah. for me I don't like it but no it, it's I I will. Uh, just to piggyback on that for a sec, Tyler, the new New Year's Eve game, the wife and I went to the, the Wings game against San Jose, and it started coming out then. Not, it's a bunch of drunk idiots, literally, yeah. that were doing it, and everyone that was sitting around me was equally infuriated. Okay. It, no, People don't like it, but when certain, just random individuals throughout start doing it, everyone thinks it's hilarious, and they it, it doesn't stop. Actually, you know what? I take that back. It's kind of like the wave at baseball games. It's worse. It's worse than the wave. I will accept the wave. At least the wave is violent. Yeah, the wave is violent. Yeah, that's true. All right, Tyler, Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at SealDog91. And Tony, thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it. All the great insight. Yeah, no problem. Anytime, guys. Yeah, I'm going to come back anytime. I'm just going to finish by saying thanks to Tony. Uh, you can follow us online at Grindline Pod. You can follow me online at Bringing the Wings. Uh, you can find our podcast on Spotify, on iTunes, on Stitcher, on uh, Google, everywhere pretty much where you can find podcasts. We are there. You can check out our merch if you go to thegrindline.redbubble.com. Um, all the merch helps support our podcast and keep the lights on. And if you go to Howie'sHockeyTape.com uh, and use promo code GRINDLINE at checkout, you get 10% off your online order. Um, we also like to give a shout-out to Founders, who is the official beer of the GRINDLINE podcast. Um, but again, thanks, Tony, for coming on. Everyone go follow him on the social medias and check out his stuff on Dauber. It's really great stuff, um, really awesome insight on what's coming up. But for Ryan and Tyler, I'm Greg. Stay classy, Hockey Town. <laughs>